Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Jamie Bryant was always an adventurous and outgoing kid while growing up. Jamie and his three siblings grew up in Michigan, being raised by their hardworking and loving single mother. Jamie always had a lot of friends. He loved music, and he was exceptionally good with computers. As a child, he dreamed of becoming a police officer. So it was unfortunate when at the age of 15, he had his first official run-in with the law. He had accidentally shot his friend with a BB gun, injuring him badly. At age 17, Jamie left home and he became a nomad. He couch surfed at different friends' homes and basically stayed wherever he could. Jamie's mom had remarried and Jamie and his stepdad weren't getting along at home, which had prompted him to move out. But despite these troubles, Jamie remained close to his mother and kept in contact with her regularly. In June 2013, Jamie was now 25 years old and he was living in Kalamazoo, Michigan with four other roommates. On June 28th, Jamie had a bizarre and mysterious accident. He had gone to the hospital in Kalamazoo to be checked out and he was in rough shape. Jamie said he had accidentally fallen down a flight of stairs and hit his head. He did have a follow-up appointment the next day and he phoned his mom to ask her to go with him and she agreed. However, Jamie ended up calling her and telling her that he didn't want to wait. He was going to go head into the hospital a little bit early. The doctors had been fearful that he had pneumonia based on some of the test results, and Jamie was anxious to get checked out. It wasn't until a friend reached out to Jamie's sister a couple of weeks after that, that the family realized that no one had seen or heard from Jamie since June 29th. Now going some periods of time without... Contact was pretty normal for this transient couch surfing lifestyle, but when the family tried to find Jamie and check in with him, they couldn't track him down anywhere. Jamie had disappeared. Where is Jamie Vaughn Bryant? And welcome back to the Where Are They podcast and another unsolved missing person story. The story of Jamie Bryant came recommended by a listener that has some local ties to Jamie, and his is definitely a story that needs told. I don't know if we have a case of unsatisfactory police work or a case of not enough clues left behind as for why this hasn't been solved, why Jamie hasn't been found. Is this a story of a struggling young man who wanted to start fresh? Or a young man who maybe fell victim to the streets of Kalamazoo, Michigan? Or maybe even a young man who picked the wrong friends to live with? In any event, Jamie is still missing. 
There are some ominous clues in his disappearance, but the truth is, Jamie's family still has no clue what happened to him. Before we jump into Jamie's story, I want to give a big welcome to our newest subscribers and Patreon members. Thank you so much for supporting what we try and do here, which is to spread awareness of these cases and get the names of the missing out there to more people. A big thank you to our newest Patreon members, Olivia Jane, Mac the Knife, Ellie B, and Deborah R. Your support is so, so greatly appreciated. All of our social media handles and our contact information can be found in the show notes. Please reach out to us anytime with any case suggestions or feedback. Now let's get into the story of Jamie Vaughn Bryant. Jamie was the third child of four in his family, and he and his siblings would be raised in Michigan by their single mother. In fact, his mom was only 22 years old by the time she had her fourth child. Their mom was loving and doting to the kids and worked hard to support them all. Their father wasn't really around much, if at all. Jamie's family describes him as having an outgoing, adventurous personality as a child. He wanted to be a police officer when he grew up, and he was a very talented self-taught musician playing the drums. He was also known, especially in his late teen years, to become excellent with computers. Jamie also enjoyed playing sports as a kid, especially basketball. Despite Jamie's seemingly normal childhood, he was also described as a headstrong kid, especially as he became a teenager and a young adult, and he wasn't keen on authority. Also during his teen years, his mom would begin dating something she had not done for many years while raising her four kids because she had always said 100% of her effort was always going to be focused on raising her kids. She would eventually marry this man, and Jamie didn't take well to a new adult authority figure in his life. It was no secret that Jamie and his stepdad didn't really get along. When Jamie was 15 years old, an incident would happen that would somewhat change the trajectory of Jamie's life. While messing around and playing with a loaded BB gun, Jamie accidentally shot his friend in the stomach. The injuries were so bad, his friend required immediate surgery, and Jamie was taken into custody. He would spend some time in a juvenile detention facility. At age 17, Jamie would officially drop out of school and leave home, beginning a nomadic lifestyle which would stay his way of life. Jamie moved from friend to friend and was what many people called a couch surfer. A couch surfer is generally a person who just looks to stay with someone temporarily, usually on whatever space is available, sometimes just a couch. During this time, it's also believed that Jamie might have began dabbling into drugs, although to what degree and what drugs specifically, we don't know for sure. Jamie was also known to be a hothead, and he wasn't afraid of confrontation, something that likely is a trait of living on the streets. In late June of 2013, Jamie was staying with four other guys in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He was now 25 years old, and he was still living the nomadic lifestyle. 
On June 28th, Jamie came into the home they were staying at, and he was battered and bruised up and not feeling well. According to one of the roommates that was there at the time, Jamie looked so bad that he knew they had to take him to the emergency room. Jamie said that he had had an accident, that he'd fallen down a flight of stairs, and he was fearful that he might have had a concussion. His friends would get him to the emergency room at Bronson Hospital. Jamie would be checked out and he would be discharged, but then he was called and asked to come back the next day to be checked out for pneumonia. At this point, Jamie called his mom to tell her what was going on, and he asked if maybe she could come take him to that follow-up the next day. Of course, she said yes. She would come right over and get him as soon as she got off work, just after 4 p.m. Jamie and his mom still had a great relationship, and he always knew that he could go to his mom anytime he needed her. The Disappearance. On June 29th, 2013, Jamie's mom was planning on taking her son back to the hospital for a checkup. He had also asked her if they gave him medication or a prescription, if she could help him get it because he didn't have any money. She said, of course, they could go right to the pharmacy after the hospital if they needed to. She planned on going straight to Jamie when she got off work that day. However, at 3 p.m., she got a phone call from him. He had decided he didn't want to wait and he was going to head up to the hospital right then. She just told him to call her as soon as he was done, and if he still needed to go to the pharmacy, she could either take him or she would go pick up his meds for him. He promised her he'd call her right after. But... Jamie didn't call. Now, Jamie had done things like this before, many times, actually. So no one was really overly concerned. They just figured that Jamie would show back up or reach out to them when he was ready. However, a couple of weeks after that hospital visit, a friend reached out to Jamie's sister, sending her a message online. He said he just wanted to check in and see how Jamie was doing since he hadn't seen him in a while. When his sister told this friend that she hadn't talked to Jamie in several weeks either, his friend was surprised. He went on to say that he had been told by Jamie that he was going to go stay with his mom on the day of that hospital visit. He had just assumed that Jamie had been with family. This, of course, prompted the family to start reaching out to other friends to try and locate Jamie, but no one had seen or heard from him. His family was now panicked, and they knew they had to do something. Despite him having disappeared for weeks at a time before, they could always track him down when they needed to, and he would always generally check in with his mom or one of his siblings. The more calls they made and the more friends they talked to, they realized that Jamie hadn't been seen by anyone that they could find since that June 29th hospital visit. In fact, no one had even heard from Jamie. They decided that they were going to have to reach out to authorities and report Jamie as a missing person. Jamie Vaughn Bryant had disappeared. 
The Search. Where does one even begin to search for someone who by nature is nomadic and moves around all the time? And someone who by now hasn't even been seen for two weeks. They could be anywhere. Authorities started with talking to those that knew Jamie, but they were pretty tight-lipped when it came to communicating what they knew to the family. And in fact, the family would learn later that authorities not only didn't tell them things, but things that they had told them were flat out wrong. Investigators did speak with the roommates, or at least the people that Jamie had been couch surfing with, but they didn't learn much. They learned that Jamie had indeed been in bad shape on June 28th and that everyone had said that Jamie told them it was due to falling down a flight of stairs. But was it? One of the roommates said that when Jamie left on the afternoon of June 29th, he also left behind his backpack. In fact, the backpack was still there and he turned it over to the detectives. This roommate verified that Jamie left the house that day around 3 o'clock p.m., with Jamie indicating that he was going to head to the hospital for his follow-up. This friend had no reason to believe that Jamie would lie to him about it, so he believed that Jamie at least intended to go to the hospital as he was leaving the house. He also told authorities that Jamie was nomadic, and that if he was going to leave to go somewhere else to stay, he would have definitely taken his backpack with him that had all of his belongings in it. Law enforcement tracked his movements on June 29th as best as they could. They said they were able to verify that he was at the hospital, that he was seen walking out on surveillance footage around 6 p.m. So searches intensified around the hospital area, which is a busy, bustling downtown part of Kalamazoo. Then it was learned that his phone pinged shortly after in Delton, Michigan. And they said that he was definitely in a vehicle because of the speed the phone was pinging at on different towers. However, at 6.30 p.m., the phone recorded its last ping on a tower near Delton. So the question became, if Jamie was in a car, whose car was it? Who picked up Jamie from the hospital that evening? And why was he heading north away from Kalamazoo? Delton was about a 30-minute drive to the northeast of Kalamazoo, about 20 miles away. No one came forward to identify themselves as the person who picked Jamie up that night. Some of his friends and acquaintances stepped up to say that they believed that Jamie might have gone to the Electric Forest Music Festival in Rothbury, Michigan on June 30th. There were no confirmed reports or sightings or anything like that, but this was something Jamie liked to do, and for some reason, many believed that he was planning on attending that festival that day. Authorities and the family pleaded with the public to check their photos from that event in case Jamie might be in them. His mom said that Jamie will stand out as he is very tall. He's six foot six. He is very skinny and he wears glasses. They were hopeful that there might be some clue of Jamie at that festival. But no one came forward with any information. 
So as weeks turn to months and months to years, this is the story the family goes with. They create a Facebook page. They hang up flyers, all stating that Jamie was last seen at the Bronson Hospital in Kalamazoo on June 29th, 2013 at 6 p.m. In 2020, some new facts would emerge, however. The Vanished podcast covered Jamie's story, and they did a public records request for his case. And what they learned would shock everyone and would anger the family. It turned out the sighting at the hospital and the alleged surveillance video was false. There was no sighting, there was no video, and there were no records at all that Jamie had gone to the hospital that day. After seven years of focusing their search on what happened to him when he left the hospital, the family learns he was never even at the hospital. I can't even begin to imagine how frustrating that must be. The roommates have also emerged over the years as being suspicious, at least in the eyes of friends and family. One roommate allegedly changed his story on the day's events several times, but this roommate was a known heroin user and authorities weren't sure if his changing stories was because he had something to hide or because of his drug use. Another roommate said that Jamie was known to use heroin also, although many others said that they didn't know Jamie to use heroin just to smoke pot every now and then. The first roommate that had been questioned, the one with the drug issue, did turn over his cell phone and laptop per police request, and nothing significant was found, at least that we're aware of. And it was also confirmed, at least we think this is correct info, although as we've seen, authorities don't always get it right, but it was confirmed that his roommate's phone was not pinging at the same places at the same times as Jamie's, meaning they weren't together, or at least their phones weren't. They also learned that Jamie's last call that day, on June 29th, after he had called his mom, was a call that he made to that roommate at 3.29 p.m. There would be no more calls made on Jamie's phone after that. So now we know that Jamie never made it to the Bronson Hospital on June 29th, as everyone had thought. In fact, his last known traceable actions were that phone call to the roommate at 3.29 p.m. Where did Jamie go from there? Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo is a city on the southwestern side of the state of Michigan. The population is around 75,000 residents. The city is known for being home to Western Michigan University. Now we could take a look at the area where Bronson Hospital is, except now we know that he didn't even make it there on June 29th, so it's really not relevant to his story now at all. We do know that he or his phone was traveling north-northeast away from Kalamazoo toward Delton, Michigan. Delton is a pretty rural area surrounded by a lot of lakes, which is always troublesome in missing person cases. The drive from Kalamazoo is about a 30-minute drive, 20 miles. Then we look in another direction. We look towards Rothbury, Michigan. 
I found this talk about the Electric Forest Music Festival somewhat interesting when it comes to Jamie's disappearance. Almost all his missing person files reference the fact that it is possible he went to the festival on June 30th. But why? Why is it believed he went there? Just because he liked to attend music festivals? Did he tell someone he was thinking about going there? It kind of doesn't make any sense, in my opinion, and no one has officially come forward to say anything about Jamie planning to go to this festival. Also, he had just suffered several injuries, pretty bad injuries, due to a fall or maybe something more nefarious that we don't know about. And he had no money. He had told his mom he didn't have any money to get a prescription if he got one from the hospital. Now, Rothbury is a couple of hours north of Kalamazoo, and Delton isn't exactly on the route one would take to go from Kalamazoo to Rothbury. Unless you were taking kind of a roundabout way for another reason. So I'm just not sure that going to that festival makes a lot of sense here, but yet people believe it is a possibility. There are, of course, a few different theories or thoughts regarding Jamie's disappearance. One of the roommates actually said that he heard that Jamie had overdosed and some people had hit his body somewhere. Others came forward to say that they had seen Jamie that night with a man named Courtney and another unidentified man. Neither of them have come forward to speak either. Others do believe it's possible that his fall down the stairs on June 28th wasn't actually a fall, but a fight that he had been in with someone. Could that person have come back for Jamie? What were they fighting over? Did it involve drugs? Jamie's family has said that Jamie is an outspoken guy and he is not afraid to fight. Or could Jamie have left on his own? Was he tired of the transient lifestyle in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and he wanted to head somewhere else? Was he in some kind of trouble that prompted him to need to leave the area? But the biggest issue with this theory is that he always kept in touch with family, especially his siblings and his mother. So what do you think happened to Jamie Vaughn Bryant? Where can he be? Jamie Bryant is described as a Caucasian male standing six foot six inches tall and weighing around 160 to 170 pounds when he was last seen in June 2013. Jamie has brown hair and blue eyes and a tattoo on his arm in the shape of the state of Michigan. Jamie also wears glasses. He may have been wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt when he was last seen on the afternoon of June 29th, 2013. Anyone with any information on the whereabouts of Jamie Bryant is asked to contact the Kalamazoo Department of Public Safety at 269-337-8095. The story of Jamie Von Bryant really baffles me because it's a case that seems so solvable. And it's also such a frustrating story because the police were working with incorrect information for so long, not just days or weeks or months, but seven years. And Jamie's family believed that they knew the timeline of events leading up to Jamie's vanishing. 
But after investigating and following this trail, they learn they were following the wrong path. I'm definitely curious to know your thoughts on this one. A big thank you again to our listener, Chastity, who recommended this case. If you do have a case suggestion or any feedback at all for us, please reach out to me anytime via social media. You can always find those links in the show notes or send me an email at canwefindthem at gmail.com. Welcome again to our newest Patreon members and subscribers. If you'd like to help support our mission and our cause, consider subscribing to the podcast on your podcast platform or joining our detective group over on Patreon. We certainly could not do what we do without your help. You can also follow our show online. And if you appreciate the coverage, leave us a five-star review, all of which is free to do and helps our show reach a wider audience. You never know when the right person will hear or see a case or a name and have that missing puzzle piece to solve an unsolved case. Keep sharing these stories any way you can. Thank you again so much for listening to Jamie's story. Another story of a young man missing without a trace in a family that yearns for answers. They have waited 10 years too long. We will be back again very soon with another unsolved missing persons case. And until then, Stay safe and hug your loved ones.